When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphemet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry. Good evening. I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. We're doing something a little different tonight. We have patrons with us. And these patrons are going to be a part of the program. And you are as well. Because from the hinterlands, concealed by fog, at the intersection of society and strange, this is an interview series about the unknown and our relationship to it. Produced by the documentary podcast series, Euphemet, here we commune and wander through the big wonder with guests who are thinkers, explorers, experiencers of the phenomena that is on the edge of it all. This is Night Drift, and I'm Jim Perry. We're going to be exploring this weird question. What does Kentucky and Orange County, California, have in common? <laughs> it, well, it turns out they're both hotspots for the strange. We'll be joined by guest investigator Darcy Staniforth and Night Drift liminal reporter Bex Atwood as we look at two distinctly haunted regions. We'll jump right into that conversation in just a minute. But tonight, as I mentioned, we're doing something a little different. Uh, in the studio with us are Euphemet Patreon members. They're listeners who have subscribed to the Society of Euphemet over at patreon.com slash euphemet, where we have live hangouts such as this. We also have an ad-free feed and a bunch of exclusives in addition to listening. It's, you know, the easiest way for you to support Euphemet and Night Drift, and I want to thank them for joining us tonight. We'll open the floor for them later on in the show, but you know, you can weigh in on the conversation tonight too. Email me, jim at euphemet.com, and use hashtag Night Drift on Twitter. You can also send me a voice message. Go to sayhi.chat slash euphemet or find the link in the show notes. But, you know, let's get right into it. My first guest, Bex Atwood, is a mycologist, witch, and paranormal investigator who recently launched Mystic Photo Lab. That's the Internet's first subscription-based film processing lab. She is part of Liminal Earth, the gang devoted to re-mythologizing our modern lives by way of collecting experiencer stories on an open-source map of the strange. They host interactive events, too, like WUFO. You may have heard of it. Bex takes on residential cases of high strangeness and experiments with all sorts of methods of divination. She's Night Drift's liminal reporter. Bex, welcome back to Night Drift. Hi, guys. Oh, my gosh. We have so many people 
joining us. This is so exciting. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. And without for, let's keep this excitement rolling and bring on our next guest, Darcy Staniforth. Uh, she is the host and producer of the very excellent Mysteries Decoded podcast, an American studies scholar, paranormal investigator, writer, and performer sought out for her expertise in popular culture, comedy, death, and unexplained phenomena. When not working with students both inside and outside of the classroom, she is a docent for the Kellogg House, a popular destination for historical ghost tours in Santa Ana, California, a place that I am now very familiar with, and we'll get into a little bit of that without spoilers, I will mention, but I have been to this place, and we will touch upon it. She has been a fixture here in this very program. Darcy Staniforth, welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Jim. I'm so excited to be here. And Bex, it's great to be here with you as well. And all the pates tonight. This is amazing. It's amazing. It reminds me of the dark old days of being locked down and the origin of this very program and this very project in which was in an effort for people to just be able to get together again. And I know, you know, if you guys would indulge me for a second, for us to just take a second to kind of be thankful with each other on what all of this is and an opportunity to have people that you really care about and that have grown into be friends and family throughout projects such as this, that maybe without that, that break in normality, we would have never discovered. We would never have the courage to open ourselves up in this way. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I've been thinking a lot about this program lately. I think it's about due time that there are actually some maybe changes in this show that reflect a little bit more about the, I don't know, the sort of the groundswell, the community effort that it took to build something like this. Uh, Bex, uh, let's start with you. Does something like that, um, moments like this, are you allowed to, uh, are, you, are you able to allow yourself to dip into an appreciation for this sort of thing, especially in the realm of the strange? Absolutely. Um, I think about what a privilege it is to be able to know folks like you and Darcy um, and to be able to have this level of not only comfortability, but like um, co-conspirators, if you will, of all of these really wonderful things. And it's, it's not until you talk to you know a neighbor down the street that you realize what a privilege that is. And, and I'll just throw it out here really quickly. Um, my life has changed so much because of Jim Perry. So I'm extremely thankful for you too, friend. All the opportunities. <laughs> oh, stop it. That was not my intent to try to, uh, I was not chasing the hug, but uh, there, there you go. Uh, Darcy, you know, um, we'll be talking about this later on the program, but I just spent several days with you down in California while we were recording uh, some Euphemet programming and recording a feature on you and, I spent time with you and your mom and your friends, and it was just an incredible experience that I, I, I really relish. But maybe that helped me kick into this mode of appreciating the people that were around me and, and how far we've all come through, I don't know, certain uh, uncertainty, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you ever allow yourself to to dip into an appreciation of... I don't know, this strange community that has been built around so many of us now? I allow myself to dip into that all the time because it's this strange community, <clears throat> excuse me, this strange community that helped get me through lockdown, especially as an extrovert, especially as someone 
who needs connection. And so not being able to have that connection for so long. And then you and I being brought together through so many other synchronicities. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful every day. I'm grateful every day to know that there's community out there, even if we're not in close proximity that I can connect into that I can, you know, communicate online with uh, over text with over the phone, things like that. And in person as well. And uh, that it doesn't feel quite so lonely out in the astral plane any longer. (laughs) Well, well said, my friend. And yeah, I I guess, you know, when we are talking about topics such as we do here, uh, even within a community of sorts, uh, you know, we are talking about uh, some pretty deep material, you know, questioning essentially at the heart of it, the meaning of life, the, 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 you know, the nature of reality uh, at hand, those could be topics that feel like a complete uh, wet blanket, you know, being wrapped around you, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. It can feel that <laughs> sort of strange and desolate, I believe. But what I hope is that whether people are listening to this in the future as a podcast, if they're in here in the Patreon zoom studio for kknw with us right now or if you're listening to this on through the terrestrial airwaves in the puget sound area that we all just take a second tonight and go man this is great we're all able to do this this is great we're all here together anyway uh thank you for allowing me to uh you know expound on my feelings Uh, whether you like it or not there's going to be a little bit more of that in this program and I hope I hope you're here for it. Um, listen, let's get into the spooky stuff. Bex, you have recently shared with me a significant amount of reports that have all centered around a certain phenomena in a region of the country that is already known for certain levels of high strangeness. But this form of high strangeness, I don't think I was aware of the extremity, the the amount of encounters of experiences people have had, and that's of UFO encounters and experiences in Kentucky. Now, this is where you're from, and I guess my first question for you, when you became boots on the ground in that place, as you are right now, was it surprising to you, knowing what you do about the high strangeness, about the hauntings, about this very old place, right? Was it surprising to you to see so many UFO reports coming from there? Ooh, I love this question because it's, it's if we ask present day Bex, absolutely not surprised. But if we ask Bex even just a couple of years ago, prior to, you know, discovering all of the strangeness that can be within flaps, you know, not just uh, hauntings and not just, uh, it's not separated uh, exclusive phenomenon. And, and so that's what I've learned because of the community, because of our, our research that we've all done together, um, we often find that uh, places who have a hotbed of activity of, of one variety, most of the time they also have UFO activity, Bigfoot sightings, time lapses, or time uh, photography term for you right there. You guys know. Yeah, right, right. Um, Slipping way into photography now. It's taking oh, you really over. And we'll too. talk about that soon, but... No, but you know, I'm saying like there's um, 
so many different types of strangeness within these flaps. So no longer am I surprised, but I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn from the National UFO Reporting Center about Kentucky? I learned that we are number three for the average person to have found a UFO. It's uh, 30 out of every 1,000 questions hmm. um, have reported seeing a UFO of some sort. Wow. And what I love is that with these uh, data, when it comes from a lot of different Midwestern and Southern states, they really like to emphasize like these are from all different types of demographics. These are from all these different lifestyles. I think that that's really compelling for people around here. And so that was definitely reiterated quite a bit. Um, but I also found out that the place that I'm living right now is is one of those flaps, one of those hotbeds. So that's oh, wow. really, really exciting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we on Night Drift, we know this as like uh, one of the homes of the dogmen. We love the dogmen here on this show. Um, but well, what do love, you know, we're also... love might be a little much. <laughs> or We love to listen and, and to think about never encountering them. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's, you know, the superstar here in these woods. Uh, but I'm learning that's not the case. <laughs> There's all kinds of activity going on. And in this very town that I live in, I found a report from my birthday, which happens to be tomorrow. Um, and I would love to read that for everyone. <laughs> because how cool is it to find a UFO report where you're living, the exact town, and on your date of birth? <laughs> Right. Go look at those guys. It's really wild. Yeah. Ha <laughs> happy birthday, of, you. Thanks. You think of like birthstones, right? Well, this is like my UFO report. <laughs> <laughs> Only you would have a UFO birthstone. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Your birthstone is a flying saucer of unidentified materials. Oh, I love it. I love it. And the funny thing was, I was here around this time. This is in 2017. So this was okay. uh, pre-Washington. Um. But, you know, I think living in Washington for a couple of years and, and that being like the most active state, um, I'm definitely have my, like, I'm warmed up. I'm ready to go for this UFO activity. Sure. Um, yeah. But it, at approximately 10 a.m. on Tuesday, October 24th, on the fourth hole of a local golf course, I noticed some unusual lights in the sky. At first, I thought it might be birds, but it wasn't. These objects were in two groups, one stacked above the other, approximately 15 to 20 in a group. They appeared to be orbs or disks. They flashed bright on one side, then on one side dark. These objects moved in a swirling pattern, changing positions with one group being above and then switching below. I noticed a vortex-like motion in the interaction of the groups that appeared to be stationary. Um, so there's like this swirling sensation that occurred for approximately five minutes. Oh, my gosh. And then without any notice, everything disappeared right above that fourth hole. <laughs> oh, jeez. you imagine that? I know. Imagine seeing, you know, you, <laughs> you're just some dude out golfing. <laughs> you're having a great time <laughs> on a Tuesday. You can golf on a Tuesday morning, you know. You're having a great time. And then you see a vortex open up in the sky. <laughs> yeah, he's like. Uh, like, I knew retirement was going to be something, but I didn't know it was going to be this. No, and and what's funny is listening to all of these old-timers tell stories like this on like YouTube and podcasts. But someday, something they say a lot is, now, I go to church every Sunday, but I'm thinking I might have to start going to class. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's interesting. 
because of 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 where it is within the country because of uh of of such stringent religious beliefs there uh there is still this feeling from so many that what they're seeing well they shouldn't be seeing it or this is the devil uh can you touch on that a little bit uh and and maybe i'd love to bring darce into this as well because uh that's very interesting. I think you may have some interesting things to, to say about that. But this idea that in other parts of the country, not like the Pacific Northwest, hey, these are demons, y'all. Absolutely. And that's what's taught to you, you know, from, from my experience at a very young age. And, you know, any type of phenomenon, anything that would kind of be under the strangest umbrella that we love so much. Um, if I saw, you know, dead grandpa, if I saw a UFO, if I saw a creature in the woods, all of that would be categorized as demonic and I would immediately be taken like to church dipped in like holy water prayed on it's it's really some wild stuff and so for churchgoers to have these experiences it's it can really be quite traumatic or it can be you know obviously very world shifting and so it's interesting to see how which direction people go yeah right <laughs> And Darcy, what is your take on that? I mean, you know, geez, Louise, they're trying to keep me from talking. See, this is what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think people get caught up in that binary so much. And it's I think one of the binaries I get really caught, like concerned about as soon as somebody's like, it's a demon. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Because it immediately uh, cuts out any other understanding of other cultures, other faiths, other possibilities, and just sticks it into this binary of like good and evil, angel, demon, whatever, and makes our incredible, expansive, high, strange world way small and way limiting. Mm. And it's fascinating to me because like, you know, you're talking about being in a space where like 30 out of every thousand people are like, I saw a UFO. I saw a UFO. I saw a UFO. Right. And how much that can change this like worldview. Like Jim and I were just having conversation about this with like thinking about, you know, people coming from war and uh, at certain, like the height of the UFO experience or time a lot of these men had come out of war and were had had their whole like world shifted anyways because of what they experienced and now there's this right um and it's interesting to me because i find more and more as i'm more open about like i these are things i'm into like last night i was at a family (laughs) dinner Five different people were like, oh, I saw a UFO. Oh, I've seen a UFO. Let's talk about our, our UFO experience. And I was yeah. like, what is happening? And these are these are all folks that have come from really religious, really like conservative backgrounds and have now broken out of those spaces and feel comfortable to talk about all of it. Right. And I think what's hard when, especially when that like demon label gets put on things, is then this like wildly incredible experience, right? This amazing experience suddenly becomes negative. It becomes bad. It becomes something you shouldn't talk about when really 
it just blew the door open to experience all kinds of new powerful things that could really be positive things um, in, in those, those folks world, but fear is a powerful weapon and keeping Mm -hmm. people wrapped in fear can really keep them in these little spaces and almost have to like, you know, stay hidden about what they've seen or how their worldviews may have changed because of these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. We, we really, we, we can be wrapped in it and uh, societally we can be wrapped in that and we can be, you know, sort of indoctrined into these communities, whether, you know, we're, we're devoutly religious or not to sort of be presented with this Western idea of these things being scary because we don't understand them, you know, And, and maybe that's not categorically a Western idea, but I think as Western culture is in the image of, you know, sort of Christianity in, in so many regards, classically, um, we, we are left with this indelible thing. Um, it's why horror is so popular for people to work out some of these issues. And I think it's why so many people come to the paranormal to try to experience something other and find themselves in that place and see how they'll do. And I think a lot of people once going through that process of chapel perilous, right? Coming out on the other side and going like, oh, wait, I'm okay. I'm all right. And this is going to be good. You know, um, go to a listener comment right now. Heather uh, mentions labeling something as demonic or evil is thought stopping and robs us of the chance to explore what we think and feel about these things for ourselves. Thanks so much for contributing that Heather. And, you know, you can comment too. You can email me, jim at euphemet.com. You can call into the show, in which we'll uh, provide a a call-in number for that. Or you can join our Patreon, and you can be a part of these in the future. And listen, I don't know about you guys, I'm having a lot of fun doing this kind of hybrid hangout night drift show. I mean, we've never done a, a... hangout that is broadcast live on terrestrial radio at the same time and i don't know many people who ever have this is quite you know different you know first we're interviewing plants and then we get all cocky and now we're just changing formats up so (laughs) thanks kk and w for allowing allowing us to do this and Thank you, patrons, for being a part of this room. We're going to take a quick break and then be back after this. Bex has a story that I can't wait to get into, which I believe involves a UFO and a train and a possible collision. If you want to hear that and you want to hear about how haunted not only Kentucky, but a place like Orange County, California is and some of our personal experiences with these hauntings, We hear about that, and we hear from you. That's next on Night Drift.
follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes. Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry. We've introduced a new perk for Euphemet patrons, an ad-free Euphemet podcast feed, and you can use it wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to euphemet.com and click the top banner to become a patron today, unlock ad-free shows, and access to the occasional hangout such as tonight. Thank you to those that have subscribed, those in the room right now with us, some of you in the studio, and thank you very much for listening and being a part of this very special Night Drift Hangout. Tonight, our guests are helping us explore hot spots of high strangeness right now. Night Drift liminal reporter Bex Atwood is exposing us to Kentucky's history as a UFO epicenter. We're, we're also joined by Darcy Stanifor. Thanks again for joining us on Night Drift, you two. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to be here with Darcy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to be here with you, Bex. Now we I'm just got to get in the same you. room. I was like, oh, hi, Darcy, after 20 minutes of an interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Darcy is what's called a uh, podcast sniper. Um, <laughs> sits and waits. Uh I was trying to I, I was trying to figure out if you two had ever done a show together. H- have you ever been on a night drift together? Nope. That is Just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, for for someone like Heather uh, in the room right now, a, a Euphemet listener who's who's been a part of all of these hangouts, I think uh, that's really weird. Incredible that these two have not been on a show together for as many of these episodes that you both are on. I love it. Love it. Uh, <laughs> let's get into a listener email real quick. Uh, this is from Joshua, a former Idaho resident. He has some comments actually about when Bex was last on Night Drift. And we were talking about, well, really Bex's impression of Idaho being kind of a, a kind of a dead zone for paranormal activity, like kind of not getting a lot of story and narrative out of this place and kind of not feeling into it either. So uh, this is from Joshua. I'm listening to your latest episode of Euphemet, Liminal, Re- Liminal Reports with Bex. 
Hearing that Bex couldn't find much in the way of strange happenings in Idaho says to me Bex just needs to spend more time there. I lived in a small town in Idaho called Arimo, about an hour away from Pocatello. And yes, Pocatello is said the way you both said it. And I think that's how we said it last time, Pocatello. I'm not sure. Excellent. Josh continues, I lived on a dairy farm. We had two times a day to herd the cows for milking, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. I loved it. Living there was peaceful, and I learned a lot about hard work and how to build a strong work ethic. I recently went back to show my wife a remo. Joshua then shares that he had told his wife stories from when he lived there in a small three-room farmhouse across the highway from a small church in an old cemetery. When they got snowed in one year, he would sit at a desk in the dining room and read. Joshua continues, After a few days of reading, my mom's boyfriend, who is who we moved in with, told me the farmhouse has a secret passage. He showed me and my sisters a door in the back of the basement. We opened the door and walked this long tunnel. The walls were stung with these old mining, uh, strung with these old mining-looking dim lights. We got to the end of the tunnel, and there was a small set of stairs that went out a set of cellar doors. We opened the doors and walked out into the cemetery. I remember looking back at the farmhouse from inside the cemetery and seeing the windows to the desk I had just been sitting at moments ago. I remember playing hide-and-seek in the cemetery and using the tunnel to hide back in the form- farmhouse while my friends were it and seeking, and I also remember walking to the back of the property many times to visit new friends of mine who lived on the land directly behind our property. Joshua, um, he then describes, he describes here that the summer of 2021, he takes his wife to a remo, the old school he used to hop freight trains to get to, the corn silo that a friend fell into, and he continues. Ultimately, I found the farmhouse with the cemetery across the highway. What I didn't find was the cellar doors that opened next to the small church in the cemetery. There wasn't even a church. That made me start questioning more things about the town. I drove to the farmhouse, and everything from the front of the property was as I remembered it. But when I drove down a small path next to the farm that I can't remember, and I made it to the end of the property, when I got out of the truck to show my wife my friend's house, it wasn't there. There's nothing behind the farm. It's just more land, undeveloped land. It looks as though there has never been anything or anyone on the land. I didn't know what to tell my wife. Of course, she responded with, maybe you just remember it differently than it really was. I thought logically and agreed with her, but I remembered it all like I was just there. I remember everything I did while I lived there in so much detail other than this missing stuff. Joshua, thank you so much for sharing the story. Bex, how do you feel about Idaho? Listen, Joshua, let's talk. I would love to go back to Idaho at any time. I mean, it's one of the most gorgeous states. So to hear that there's possibly missing places, missing time, you just like wrote me in. Let's go, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) I love the story, though. Thank you for sending that in. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's speaking our liminal language there for sure. (laughs) Well, I would love to read more listener emails. I have a little bit of a backlog that I would like to get to on this program as well. And if you have an experience or if you are moved to send any correspondence, you can send it to me, jim at euphemet.com. Now, let's get back to Kentucky. Tell us about another place that you found in Kentucky that had you baffled, have you mystified, taught you something about this strange UFO 
I don't know, almost a UFO triangle that exists there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the most exceptional examples is, is what you were discussing earlier before the break, um, the Paintsville, Kentucky incident with the train. Um, I have the report by the official CSX engineer. Um, and it happened at 2.47 a.m. on January 14th of 2002. Now, this is an extremely long story. I'm going to try to paraphrase as much as I can, um, because this is one of those wonderful UFO incidences that starts with a sighting and then is followed by hours of strangeness and mayhem, if you will. Oh, my gosh. And, and for a couple of whole train workers, it's just, you know, a brand new night, a brand new life. Um, but essentially, there was a cold train en route from Russell, Kentucky to Shelbania. Um, and there's a trailing unit and first two cars that were severely damaged as they struck an unknown floating or hovering object. Um, they knew that it was exactly at 247 because the engineers watch froze and it shows that exact time to this day. Um, oh along gosh. with the watch, there was an entire electrical system on both locomotives that went completely haywire. Um, approaching a bend near milepost 42 in an area referred to as the Wild Kingdom for the many different types of animals spotted there. My conductor and I saw lights coming from around the way. This ordinarily means there's another train coming. Um, and so they're trying to figure out, like, are we hopping? Are they hopping tracks? Are we hopping tracks? They killed their lights as to not blind the incoming crew. As mm. they rounded the corner, the com onboard computer began to flash in and out. Speed recorder went nuts. And both mo locomotives died completely. Alarm bells began to ring. And that's when they saw the objects. Um, and it looks like um, they were scanning the river for something. At least three objects had several searchlights trained there. The first object hovered only about 10 to 12 feet above the track. Um, they're metallic silver in color with multiple colored lights near the bottom and the middle. There were no windows or openings of any kind. Um, it was a probably 18 to 20 foot in length and approximately 10 feet high. Um, but it went from seeing like that, hearing a little noise. And then they estimated that they hit the object at around 30 miles per hour with 16,000 trailing tons behind them. Um, it clicked the top of their lead unit, then skipped back, slicing a chunk out of their trailing unit and first two coal cars. The other objects vanished. Um, that led to a series of weirdness for them. Um, they, you know, just a couple hours later at 5.15, um, they saw lights again. Um, vehicle doors were slamming, guys running by in weird outfits. It, it was a really chaotic time once they did make it to their destination, and it seemed like the weirdness did continue. Um, but not all of that information is there. <laughs> That's basically wow. where it is. After about 5.15, um, here's what happened to the trail cars. We pulled them aside. You may checked and we documented, and change just continues. Stop that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Here's the thing that is just like ripping my heart apart is that it says CSX engineer. It does not say their name. Oh, jeez. 
Yeah. Oh, um, when you hear a story like that, when you find a story like that, Bex, are you immediately just looking at, you know, sort of what threads you can pull and, and how, how much further you can dig into something like that? Because I mean, that's a, that's a really stunning story. I've never heard of that before. And yet here it is. And <laughs> there's like sort of physical, there's very real physical contact that happens between this anomalous object and, and, and this train. Um, that's, that's, that's crazy. Absolutely. Um, to answer your question, that's my, oh, Ranger would like to speak about the topic. <laughs> you may bark just a little bit. Um, but at my street, yeah, because my first question was like, why, how do I get this guy's name? How can I get information on this? And I think one of, um, the wildest aspects of this is it involving a train. You you kind of feel like it's it's dated in a way, but this is from 2002. Right. <laughs> and so there are certain modern elements to it. And when it says the strangest continues, you're like, okay, it's been 20 years. Is it still happening? How do I get a hold of them? Um, you know, so I'm I'm currently pulling those strings, as you say. Oh, fantastic. Well, I love that, you know, you dive so far deep into the Puget Sound area while you were here. Now you're down there and you're digging so far deep into Kentucky. And I think you're going to continue finding stories that are captivating. And I am so excited that you're going to continue sharing them on this very program. It's so exciting. Uh, Darcy, when you hear a story like that, what, <laughs> what's your reaction? I mean, that, that happened not so long ago. Um, there, there's the possibility of incredible evidence in, in a space where we don't receive a lot of, uh, physical evidence. Uh, what, what's your reaction to something like that? One, I have the same reaction Bex has about their name not being listed. And so <laughs> my first thought is like, Bex, you got to check out both the Federal Railroad Administration, as well as the United States Railroad Administration, because it just feels like engineers and railway workers have to be public record. Like, the story to me is like, that is where we go into the boring records and uh, find these things to corroborate these stories, or at least be able to be like, let me hunt this person down. Yeah. A story like that is just... (sighs) I have to think about the fact that like these are people just doing their job and their job requires the utmost safety and the utmost attention to things um, and not ending up derailed or on the wrong track or colliding with another train. And so I tend to and the fact that we actually don't have his name makes me feel like it's even more credible. Because this person's probably like, I don't want to be seen as the the time jumping train person, you know. <laughs> um, and it's it it makes me think. Recently, I uh, was being like, I was on a trip with students, and I was being driven somewhere by a professional driver, and it kind of thinks the same thing. And we were talking about. Um, you know, different aspects of the high strange uh, and general conversation amongst the passengers. Sure. And all of a sudden, the the bus driver just goes, I don't normally tell many people this. I'm like, uh-huh. We just settled back in. Yeah. And she was talking about driving out in um, a road that goes along the Grand Canyon in Arizona, which I've driven on that road many times. And it is a very wide road and there is nothing on it. 
And she said it was early in the morning, but I was wide awake. My passengers were asleep. It's my job to be wide awake and alert. And I looked out my uh, back window and, and in the rearview mirror, and I saw something crouched by one of the road signs that stood up that ended up being taller than one of the road signs covered in hair oh, man! and then cross this very wide two lane highway in three steps. She said, <laughs> I used to not talk about it, but my children encouraged me and I, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. My job is to know what happens. And so yeah. I think about that because that's an incredible story. But then also this train story, like that is also like they are trained to pay attention to all of those things. Yeah. So unlike some of us who are in jobs that have things where it's like, oh, it, it was that like a per maybe that was a person that came by. Maybe like where we don't necessarily have to pay attention to such details. This seems to me even more credible because of that. Oh my gosh. You're so right. And uh, this is a story that I hopefully can continues to develop. I, yeah. I think I think we got to continue chasing this one. It's it's so exciting. Um, in addition to being exciting, this whole night is exciting to me. This is so fun to have two friends, um, and actually a bunch of a room full of friends with me yeah. here tonight as we embark on this sort of hybrid night drift Patreon hangout thing. Maybe we'll do something like this more often. It has a very like uh, live studio audience vibe to doing yeah. this show in this way. I mean, I understand there's an audience of people listening to this live right now in terrestrial radio, uh, or at least we we hope. <laughs> <laughs> but right now we're just we're just in this studio together, and and it's great. I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you are listening to this as well. Listen, if you're listening to this in the future on the podcast feed, you can reach back out in time and email me, jim at euphemet.com. You can also go on social media and find us there at euphemet across the board. We even have a TikTok, and there's actually some very artful videos on there that you should check out sometime. They're pretty good, I will have to say. Uh, okay, we have to take a quick break. This is Night Drift. We'll be right back with more right after this. into the night. Jim Perry is taking your calls at 425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 
KKNW 425-373-5527 or toll free in Western Washington 888-298-5569 That's 888-298-KKNW A group of 16 researchers will spend the next nine months studying unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP also known as UFOs as a part of a team for NASA This just in from NPR the research, which will use unclassified data, will lead to a report that will be made available to the public next year. NASA's research follows the Pentagon's announcement in July that it would create an office to track reports of UAPs, and earlier this year Congress held a public hearing on UFOs for the first time in 50 years. The selected research group includes professors, scientists, an oceanographer, and others who study space. Former NASA astronauts Scott Kelly and Nadia Drake, a science journalist and contributing writer at National Geographic, are also among the group's members. The study, which begins on Monday, is designed to lay the groundwork for future study on the future of UAPs for NASA and other organizations. According to a press release on Friday, some of this data will come from what it describes as civilian government entities, commercial data, and data from other sources. NASA originally announced news of the upcoming, studi- st- the upcoming study in June, stating that the lack of existing research on UAPs makes it difficult to draw scientific conclusions about the nature of such events. The organization maintains that there is no evidence yet that connects UAPs to extraterrestrial life. Wow. Okay. So it, there's an entire show that can be dedicated to uh, reacting to what is happening within the mainstream. But uh, as I've been studying a lot about the, the effects of, of, of stories like this to our, uh, I guess, our popular consciousness, um, it, it fascinates me. Yet not for the reasons that it might fascinate others that are involved in the paranormal. Um, I don't quite see, see a, a paradigm shift in terms of how we're even um, changing the language around how we're dealing with this phenomena. I still feel that um, there's a lot of folks that need to uh, see evidence, that need to reveal, uh, be, you know, have something revealed to them and have someone tell them that something else is going on. Please, an adult in the room to tell me <laughs> that what people are experiencing is real in the consensus reality way. Now, we talk a lot about what's real, what's not, uh, proof, not proof. Uh, Bex and I were talking earlier about uh, this idea of proof 
and about how kind of flimsy it can be. Now, as someone who is a professional photographer, who uh, has a business in developing film photography, um, what is your take on what seems to be an incessant drive for people to obtain physical proof of this any way possible? Man, it really gets to me sometimes because, you know, you'll scroll through UFO Twitter and you'll see a lot of people crack jokes about the blurry photos. Why is it never a clear photo? And 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 so I decided to kind of look with them. They're like, why is it never, you know? And then, you know, about five seconds of just basic analog photography mechanics, like in order to get a steady photograph of the moon, which for me with my film camera with a 300 millimeter lens is still very hard. It's <laughs> still really hard. In order to do that, I have to have a tripod. I have to have a 30 second shutter on. If I bump, if I sneeze, if I do anything within that time, it's completely blurry, whacked out, overexposed. It's it's so hard to get the perfect moon image. So why on earth are we like complaining about the lack of quality in and a, a photo that documents something so far away, potentially moving at speeds faster than any of our aircraft, potentially. Um, if I can't get something stationary <laughs> with all of the proper equipment by accidentally sneezing, why are people holding such high expectations for UFO photographers? <laughs> it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really can be. It's interesting. And I will continue covering this topic because I think it's fascinating, but maybe not for the typical reasons. Um, I'm not holding my breath on any of this, but uh, I think culturally there is a significance to this. Uh, it's just personally, I, I feel it harder to be uh, uh, excited about someone else telling me what is and isn't real in this space and putting a stamp on it um, when, you know, I don't know. Anyway, that's just me. I've got to think through that process a little bit more before I entertain it or even, um, okay, shut up. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just, I, I'm passionate about it, right? But I don't have words for it. Um, okay, we're at the very end of the program, but we explored Kentucky. And one of the reasons I, I, I really wanted to have Darcy here, in addition to her, her quips and intelligence and uh, uh, commentary, on all of this is um, to tease uh, what we did this this last weekend, and to to introduce a little bit about a place that that she's talked to us about before. She's ex explored the rich history of this location in Orange County, but tell us a little bit, give us a little bit of a tease and introduction to the Kellogg House and what you do there. So I, uh, as a fun side gig. I work with Haunted Orange County and the Heritage Museum of Orange County and lead haunted historical ghost walks through the Kellogg House, which is a beautiful Victorian house built in 1898 by Hiram Clay Kellogg, who is the first civil engineer in all of Orange County, Santa Ana, and he was the deputy, deputy county surveyor for Anaheim. And he built this house for his second wife, Helen Kellogg, who lived in the house for many decades after Hiram passed and we feel might actually still be in the house. Mm. And so Jim and I um, spent four incredible days exploring 
the story of this house, uh, Helen's story, Hiram's story, his first wife's story, his children's story, as well as my connection and all of the synchronicities uh, tied into this. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear more and more about this. Well, I needed to thank you publicly for, you know, allowing me so much of your time for, you know, bringing me into the family, uh, for introducing me to my new favorite person, Shelly uh, <laughs> Darcy's mom and uh, at uh, Casa Staniforth. And uh, listen, um, thank you. Thank you so much for that, friend. And perfect tease. And if you haven't experienced that tour before, you need to go. You need to experience it. Darcy, where can people find more information about that? So uh, hauntedoc.com. We run the tours all year long. We're just coming to the end of our quote-unquote Christmas season with Halloween coming up. But we'll be posting more (laughs) dates for November, December, and they'll keep running all the way through. And if you follow me on Instagram, uh, at Darcy Staniforth, I post about them all the time. Uh, so for those of you who maybe want to avoid the, the Halloween crowds, uh, come see me in the off months. Um, but there's, it's a smaller group. Usually max, we have like 24 on the tour, sometimes even smaller than that. Um, but it's a good time and we have such unprecedented access to this incredibly restored Victorian house. And I'm in it all the time. So I know the real ins and outs of it, but it's, it's, it's just a fantastic place to take in even without the haunted aspects of it just the historical right. and architectural facts of it a hundred percent uh i agree with everything uh listen go uh follow darcy on social media go subscribe to the mysteries decoded podcast series it's really great uh, it's it's awesome and go check out uh, the kellogg uh, museum uh, bex where can people find your work you can find my work at bex and Illuminal across the board uh, mysticphotolab.com and liminal.earth fantastic thank you so much for a great program everybody this was so exciting time flew by thank you for listening to night drift with jim perry on alternative talk kknw 1150 in seattle hear the show anytime on its podcast feed wherever you listen to them and until next time keep looking up Follow Night Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.